Hello and welcome to episode 9 of series 3 of the Decade Podcast. There's only one more left after this one. This is the podcast that takes an in-depth look into the 2021 project started by comedian Mark Watson. I'm your host Chris Jack. I'm a little bit like Mark, except he didn't decide to come up with a podcast format that requires me to present a different similarity each week. 29 episodes so far. It is a struggle. What a guest we've got for you today. It's the gecko-toting legend that is Nat. There's quite a lot going on here, but if you like herpetology and comedy, this is the episode for you. So get on board the Lizard Express, not a euphemism, and please enjoy the Decade Goals of Nat. Welcome, Nat, to the Decade Podcast. It's lovely to have you here. It's lovely to be here. Excellent. And how are you doing? I'm I'm doing. <laughs> That's all the end of the sentence, really. I think I'm doing is just is I suppose the best way to be looking at it at the moment. Um, but you're at home at the moment. Yeah, at, at home and sitting in my nice bedroom. For context, I spent a lot of time in the hospital this year. We start by asking our guests to introduce themselves. Um, hello. My my name is Nat. I'm on I'm on Twitter quite a lot, and I'm 18 minus two months and one week and I live in the northeast of England and don't really do much to be honest. Is that because it's the northeast of England? Yeah I just want when people introduce themselves they say where they live and I don't know why. I don't know why it's an important piece of information but it seems to be a nice it's, it's, it's a nice stable thing name age place where you exist. I think you're right I thought it was when I first started doing this and had introduced herself she did exactly that she would name age where i exist and it's quite an odd question though in terms of doesn't really tell you that much about the person does it it doesn't but you can assume things and you stereotype and this is that's how comedy works and then you, you break the stereotypes this is science it's it's the science of comedy we need to write a textbook because why isn't comedy an A-level or a degree or there's too many questions, too many answers, too, there's too much to think about. What, what will people infer from the stereotype that is Nat, the North East, 18 minus two months? And one week. And one week. People will infer what they infer and then hopefully their expectations will be met or broken in the following 20 minutes definitely not longer because i'm not good at short conversations <laughs> sorry so you're not good at short conversations so you want a long conversation i'm not i'm i haven't had enough sleep for this how did you first hear about the decade project it's sort of a strain i, I think most people seem to say that they, they like taskmaster and then they like Mark Watson, and then they're like, oh, look, Decade, and then that's how they enter. Whereas mine sort of just, I have, I've always really liked watching the stand-up comedy. And then last year, around April-ish, I found Bring Your Own Jokes, purely because I started to get more and more into whatever that Twitter community is. I don't know, it's not necessarily the Bring Your Own Jokes community, or it's just, it's just general. And then I think I started doing comedy at Bring Your Own Jokes in maybe September last year. I, I sort of knew that Decade existed, but I was like, I don't really want to join in on this because this seems to be a pretty solid and secured thing. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm one of the Bring Your Own Jokes people. I'm not a Decade person because I haven't been here long enough. But then I sort of just hopped on one day in maybe January this year. So 
almost a year ago and then just typed in my little things and hoped that I wasn't annoying anyone. I don't know. <laughs> I typed in my little things and hoped that I wasn't annoying anyone. Well, you're definitely not annoying us, but I do think there's, certainly from a lot of people that I speak to, is that worry that, like you said, it was kind of like a set thing already that you didn't feel you could get involved in because they weren't they weren't your people yet you were a bring yeah. your own jokes person but you weren't a decade person yeah exactly that's what i meant but, so what eventually led you to break down sorry what eventually led you to, to break, break down into... just well mental breakdowns have certainly been part of this okay what eventually led you to break into decade and then break down i think mainly the fact that in real life i know the internet is real life but sort of in my little, in my bubble of non-internet life, I was like, this is very small and I feel like I don't really do much with my time. And I was like, so so I try, I try and get all of my like life enrichment from the internet. And I was like, all right, why not just add another thing on? But also I've always been very like goal obsessed sort of. And so I, I liked the idea that it was a goal community because I, obviously being with Bringer and Jones and that sort of community was nice. So I was like, oh, I love comedy. These people love comedy. Nice. These people seem to like goals. Maybe not like goals, but so I thought, what? It's a goal. There's a lot of goals. So I, 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 I had to. This is really, really goals a lot. There's a lot going on. I like the fact that it's the actual physical act of setting the goals, which is which is combined. These people like goals. These people like football. These people like comedy. These people like soap operas. But these people, they like goals. They're yeah. my people. These, these are the goal people because people without goals, they're not going anywhere. If you don't have a goal, you're just, you're standing still. You're just not moving anywhere. You need to have goals. You need to motivate. You need to alpha male podcast it to the end. You just need goals and determination and you can win life that, that is lovely i mean you did start by saying you are just existing in the northeast surely if you're just existing you're someone without a goal that's a good point but this is why i joined decade that's the answer to your question i joined decade so i could live and not just exist i feel like since i've started speaking to you you've completely deconstructed my entire podcast so it started with my very first question about please introduce yourself and actually why do you even need to introduce yourself because we're all just existing then around well i'm not going to say how i found out about the decade project because most people say taskmaster and that's it and now you're deconstructing the setting of goals i think i may have came into this with too much thought i think i need to dial it back a bit or or maybe Maybe this fits in with the fact that you're, you you start all the podcasts and you say, I'm not like Mark Watson. I, I think about things a lot. And, and now we can just all exist as people that think about things a lot and maybe too much, too much thinking. I am an overthinker and I think uh, you are as well. I don't think it's always a bad thing. I think people put overthinking in a little box where they'll say, overthinking's bad. I hate being an overthinker. But then... I think you can sort of use it to your benefit, basically. I think because the whole bring your own jokes community seems to have been, um, it's formed of a lot of overthinkers, because I think comedy is just sort of overthinking everything that is, uh, that you like, observe in life. So I think overthinking is an interesting quality. We're, we're now overthinking, overthinking, and it's getting too deep. 
We are the people who think deeply and set goals. What were your original decade goals? I think I had nine, which is a bit of a frustrating number to have, not ten. My goals were, I remember that the first one was sort of what was really important to me at the time, which was like um, all the academic type of things. I had this set idea in my brain. I was like, I, I'm going to do my three A-levels, or if I wanted to, I kind of wanted to do four. I've got my, I'm doing chemistry, biology, maths. So I was like, I'll do physics as well. And I'll do all my A-levels and then I'll do those and I'll do my exams. And then I'll go to do an open university course. And then I can do a master's and then I can do a PhD and then I have the rest of my life doing studying I had this really intense set idea in my head of what I wanted my academic pathway to look like, which was very much like, I love science, I just want to do science all the time, and I still do love science a lot. Sort of things have interrupted that a bit. Then next goal was to get more involved with like community communities, whether that be in real life. Ideally, it would be in real life because I don't do a lot of real life things. It's all sort of on the internet. I spend all my time at home because I'm homeschooled. I, I do everything at home and sort of I thought I need to do more community things. But then as it turned out, most of these community things have been online. Another one was to like learn about disability, do stand-up comedy. There was like write a book or um do some reptile keeping, keep talking to people I've met from the comedy community and just all these sort of, I had this big long list of goals and I've sort of now condensed them more a bit, I think, which I sort of think I've condensed them, but while also setting myself more like sub goals or micro goals, perhaps within those condensed ones, I could draw a tree, but it wouldn't work with the podcast form. I'm pretty sure. Well, I was going to say draw the tree should be your 10th goal, but that if you've if you've got a whole tree of goals then that's um that feels like more than 10 anyway. For your academia and your um, A levels and your studying, is there an ultimate end and progression for you in terms of what you want to do? Obviously very science based, but is there a future science career that you would like to go down to or that you're interested in? So, I've always kind of wanted to do research i have this sort of idea in my brain where i want to in the future i want to end up like either working in a lab or writing books and papers about things because even now i spend so much time like just on the internet learning about random um topics whether it's learning about genetics or like brand or um i know i think most people on twitter know me as thinking a lot about herpetology, which is lots of the study of reptiles and amphibians. It sounds silly, but it's something I like. It like It's very soothing, I think, to have a lot of interests. I quite like the fact that I can research a lot about things, and that seems to be my thing, is I love to just keep learning about things, especially within the biology sort of field. So if I can get paid for that, then why not? <laughs> It sounds to me like you've got a love of learning rather than an ultimate end to that or an end goal associated with the learning itself. Yeah, it's more so. I know I definitely want to get to a point where I can do a PhD or something along the lines of that because I think from that you can basically keep learning and I don't, I don't see myself as being like, oh, when I'm 35, I want to have this job and I'll live, I'll do that job until I'm 50 and then I'll retire and then, and then I'll die. This is the overthinking again. It's... It infects all aspects of life. So, yeah, I don't have a one set idea. All I know is that I want to 
get to doing some kind of PhD or something along the lines of that and to get there I need to do this academic pathway and then that's sort of what I'm on at the minute is trying to get through that pathway so I can end up in a career where I can just learn all the time. One of the things you mentioned about learning about was herpetology and reptiles. This is sort of, um, it's been a weirdly progressive interest over time as I got really into like learning about reptiles and watching videos about reptiles and um, sort of, uh, this was back in maybe 2021, I think, I was using it as a bit of a coping mechanism for a lot of things that were happening then and it sort of became really like um, intense and I was like, oh, I was like sort of, one of my things that I do is that I sort of in my brain I like picture that I'm owning every single one of these reptiles that you can possibly own and I like to learn the exact like feeding regimen for all of these reptiles, what substrate do they need in their tank, do they need coconut fibre, do they need sand, do they need, can you use some reptiles, you see you can use kitchen roll for some of these reptiles, it's so, it's so interesting. I like to put myself in, it's like sort of my escape thing, I escape into my little mind box where I live with all these reptiles and I sort of and that's led me to now know how to look after a ridiculous number of reptiles some of which I probably don't think I'll ever own I don't think I'm ever, ever gonna own an Argentinian tegu they're a bit large maybe 20 kilos 10 kilos somewhere in between not really interested in having one of those in my house but at least I know that they're enrichment activities and they can eat frozen turkey there's, see, there's so many things to know. You are ready for any emergency Argentinian tegu situation that may arise. Exactly. So do you have designs on getting your own reptile? We moved house in July and the idea was, because the last house we lived in was a bungalow and it was very small, we've moved into a larger house now, just like slightly larger, and the idea was like, oh, this is great because now... I'll have room to like do my little hobbies and things and then we moved here and I was like oh I'm going to get a crusted gecko and I'm going to set that, set up the terrarium in my room and it's going to be cool and I'm going to enjoy it a lot and then literally about two weeks after that plan was like solidified I was like oh I'm going to get a crusted gecko that was sort of when I ended up in hospital so it didn't go to plan and now I'm sort of waiting until health things stabilise so I can then reintroduce like my interests, which also would involve like comedy, trying to get back into the things that sort of really stabilise my mental health because I find all my interests are really, they're like the one thing that sort of keeps my brain functioning properly. So I'm just waiting for my health things to become less of a big blob inside of my head before I can get back into doing those things. You mentioned comedy being quite an important goal for you. I'm very, very little <laughs> when I started watching stand-up comedy because my dad used to watch Live at the Apollo all the time and then I'd watch Live at the Apollo with him and sometimes be like, what's pubic hair at the age of I don't know, like six, watching like Sarah Millican or something. I don't know. What's the rating on this podcast, Chris? I don't know how... I'm, I'm pretty sure we can mention pubic hair, particularly in a scientific context. Yeah, but also, that's not the worst thing you could have asked your dad at a young age. Well, I know that. But I mean, 
It's more so the fact that when you watch stand-up comedy and you're really little, the things that are really bad sometimes you don't even pick up on because you're just, words have no meaning, so you're like, oh yeah, cool. I think this is gonna, I was gonna take this in a whole different direction. I was gonna say kids now, I feel like, I feel like four-year-olds now would know what a penis is, and yet when I was four I felt like it was like, no, that's, that's the dingly dong. Anyway, that was completely <laughs> off topic. I was just comparing, like, even though I was only seven, ten years ago, I feel like, Ten years have passed and children now know more. But at the time you were surprised to learn that they weren't actually talking about a real life beaver. Yeah, it was really surprising and really traumatising. This is another thing is that because I'm autistic, a lot of uh, when I used to watch comedy, I used to get so confused because there's so many like idioms that are used and I do not get idioms at all. I can't even remember what's happened today, but there was even an incident today where I was like, oh, it was someone said, don't hold your breath. And then I started like heavily breathing. And it's just things like this that get, I think they get used in comedy a lot. And so that was another thing, was that a lot of the time I didn't know what was going on. But I think what I liked about stand-up comedy when I was younger and even and now, people laugh at the jokes and I'm like, oh, people are like laughing. This is nice. I can now laugh even if I don't know what's going on because it's like, well, these people are doing it, so it's like a it's like a social cue in itself. It's like, oh, everyone else is laughing. I'm gonna laugh as well, and I think that's one of my favorite things about stand-up comedy, and it's why the things I watch a lot of the times when I watch things with my family, it'll always be like sitcoms that have laugh tracks in the background because I'm like, oh, I can get involved now. I can laugh even though I don't know what's going on. Laughter is a very social thing. If you sit and watch a comedy film on your own at home, you will laugh out loud less than you would do if you went to the cinema that was full of people that were laughing along. And like you say, it's those social cues. As much as you finding it funny, because you can find yeah. it funny and not laugh. I think that's one of the reasons I really like stand-up comedy. And going back to the original question, I've obviously always watched stand-up comedy. And then it was in, I think I was maybe... Uh, it was when the pandemic started. I watched The Office US on... Uh, I watched it five times, all the way through. And then from that, sort of, this stemmed off is I would then, like, watch... Or I'd, like, watch other comedy things... And then so going from like watching sitcoms or like mockumentaries like The Office and things like that, that sort of then led me into find like, oh, this actor's also a stand-up comedian and I'd also and then I get sort of obsessed with stand-up comedy, watched every stand-up comedy thing I could find, watched loads of stand-up comedians, sort of secretly it was then in my brain I was like, Oh, when I grow up I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> I don't think I'm go I don't think that's a thing that I would do now. It, but it's sort of I got really, really interested in all sort of stand-up. And then, obviously, last year, when I found Bring Your Own Jokes, I was like, oh, this is cool. These people really like comedy as well. And then that was why it was really nice that last year I, I was able to start, like... Because I think I'd been sort of wanting to write comedy since the pandemic. So I was like, oh, I love comedy. I just want to do comedy all the time now. And it was nice to have people around to do that with and have an opportunity to be like, listen to my funny jokes and then find out if they are funny or not because again with the social cue thing it's nice that on bring your own jokes even though it isn't as probably as realistic and sometimes people are too nice or <laughs> i don't know well it's not an or people are just too nice sometimes on bring your own jokes and i think i'll tell a joke and be like that was rubbish and people will laugh and it's like come on 
I want the truth, at least. Anyway, it's just one of those social cue things. I can be like, oh, that was funny. And it's sort of an instantaneous, like, are they laughing or not? It's like sort of an on or off switch in terms of comedy. And I think that's what I like about it. Because it's like, I don't need to interpret anything else apart from did they laugh? And that's like one question and that's it. I've said this to you before and I'll say it to you again you are one of the most naturally funny people I've met well you're gonna make me cry (laughs) because when I was in the hospital and Carrie she came to my hospital and she dropped off this big amazing like care package of like gifts and things and then there was the Mark Watson's new book, which had been signed by Mark Watson, and I was like, "Well, this is cool." And I got to like a page in the middle, and he'd written like, "You're one of the most naturally funny people I've ever met." And I was like, "Oh no, I'm gonna cry." Also, reading the reading the card that everyone had signed at Church Fest was also made me cry and made my dad cry, and it was all just it, it's very because I spend so much time in the house and I don't really interact with because I I have so many issues with like my health and with just being autistic and having all these things because I spend so much time in the house I've forgotten what it's like to interact with other people I think my dad had forgotten what it was like for me to interact with other people so when he sort of saw the card and was like oh people are actually like know who I am and like like who I am that's a rare thing people are like oh wow annoying this is the most annoying person I've ever met that's been my most experience with people who who, like in terms of being in school and things it was like wow this person is completely mute or non-verbal what I don't even know what this person's thinking or it's the other end of the coin where people are like wow this person's so annoying so getting all those nice messages and things like that was like a big like, oh, I'm going to cry because it was... I'd gotten to the point where I was like, ah, oh, no one likes me. And that was sort of a fact rather than a... And obviously people do like you, but that's come from yourself and it's come from putting yourself forward and it's come from trying stand-up and us listening to you and meeting you and speaking to you and actually getting to know you over a, over a long period of time. And hopefully that's reflected in those messages that people like you for being you and like you for being part of that community as well and I hope that kind of comes across one of your first goals was around doing more community stuff you talked about the community around the decade being quite goal orientated but actually what's more important is being nice and kind to each other and a group is that what you mean by community or are you talking more about volunteering and being part of something else well initially when I'd made that goal it was mainly about I want to be I want to go outside and volunteer like I don't know I think I had an idea I was going to go to like an animal shelter and do some volunteering but it's sort of I've had to reassess what I mean by community and realizing that it's like there's more than one type of community it's not like I'm going to go and help the community and go out and pick up litter it can be like it's just the act of engaging with other people I think because I don't do that a lot and I think apart from like on the internet so I think it's something I I really thought was important because I don't want to just become a hermit obviously you can be I can become a hermit but a digital hermit or did a non a non you see I'm getting too confused now I I don't I might be a hermit but like I need to have that sort of the community's 
I can't I can't find the right words for this. Being digital and being a hermit and not mutually exclusive. Exactly. What you said. For the for the record, you can be a hermit. Sorry, you are a hermit. No, what what were we trying to say? There was too many hermits being used. I, I there's too too many words. My initial goal was to like stop because uh, obviously I do leave the house. I go outside. I walk in nature and do my mindfulness walks, and. But like I, I wanted it to be like when I do leave the house, I also want to engage with people, and then I'm sort of realizing like that's not always possible for my like the restrictions that I have. So I'm sort of I'm sort of rewritten that goal in my head into being like just community in general, whether it's online or in person, just whatever I can manage. One of the things that I've started to do, actually, I I, I don't know. I, I've realized that I haven't given a lot of context here. In terms of, like, my health and stuff like that. I'm going to say to you, Nat, you were given every opportunity to introduce yourself at the beginning. And you chose not to. You see, the most frustrating thing about this is that before start, I've spent all day stressing about this. And I wrote a ten-point list that was extremely detailed and thorough. And I came on here and exactly the opposite's happened because I realised that it's not my podcast, it's your podcast. You structure the podcast, I don't structure the podcast and yet I'd created my own 10-step structure with detailed sub-points and then my brain's been disheveled, bulbed, blobbed. It's all gone a bit. Um... It should be a joint podcast and I'm pretty sure that a lot of it is the guest podcast rather than my own. So... Would you like to take this opportunity to provide some context? Like I said before, I joined the decades thing and then I did my goals and then a lot of the goals that I've made have sort of gone wrong slightly or at least been interrupted because of being in hospital and then I realised I didn't explain why I was in hospital. So essentially I was uh, I was admitted to hospital and then I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and I was diagnosed with having basic, essentially a stomach that's too slow, um, intestines that are too slow, and basically my digestive system doesn't work properly due to the Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And I also have POTS, which also directly impacts the digestive system because it's all about your autonomic nervous system, and there's a lot of science that's a lot to explain. With Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, that's when... You've got connective tissue. Everyone's got lots of connective tissue in your body. It's everywhere. It's in your skin. It's in your joints. It's in your organs, um, in your blood vessels. And if you have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, the connective tissue doesn't work properly. So it's essentially the, the glue that's holding your body together isn't doing its job, which is why like, I have really weirdly stretchy skin. Like My neck like pulls all, all the way out. My um, joints like bend back over. Everything sort of goes in the wrong direction. And... That's sort of all people know about it, is like, oh yeah, it looks a bit funny, whatever. <laughs> um, but it also affects all your internal organs and your blood vessels. So like, essentially my blood vessels are really floppy, so every time I stand up, my feet turn purple because all the blood has gone down really fast because they don't have enough strength to... They're, they're too floppy, essentially, to get the blood back up to my brain, which is why a lot of people with POTS pass out a lot. I don't pass out. I get pre-syncope because... The diagnostic criteria for POTS is that when you stand up, your um, heart rate sh- increases from uh, increases by 40 beats per minute. When I stand up, 
my heart rate increases by on average maybe 60 beats per minute so obviously it's really tiring um, to walk, to stand, to do anything and that's caused by the Ehlers-Danlos. Another thing that's caused that's been caused by that is my all my digestive issues. My digestive system doesn't work properly so I've had to have a nasogeginal tube placed which is essentially a really long tube that goes past your stomach and into your intestines because my stomach is the worst organ in my digestive system so putting things in there nothing stays in for very long and that's why I was in the hospital for such a long time because trying to get nutrition was very important when eating things orally weren't staying in and were causing like a lot of pain and with that they figured out that it was the Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and they're like oh that's why your joints constantly dislocate <laughs> and it never been a concern before and Literally, first week in the hospital, dislocated my wrist. All of those issues sort of were really connected and became a big problem. They've been a big problem for a long time, but they sort of all became a big problem chunk, essentially. And that's my nice little essay about all of my issues. How have your decade goals changed over time? I'm assuming your health has then affected your ability to meet your decade goals. So the the main changes have been it's 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 quite looking back at the goals that I'd written first joined the decade group one of the main changes to my goals to make my life more adapt to my needs and le- and also to learn more about disability and then I'd sort of gone to that goal from that and like an outsider's perspective because although I was like constantly my joints were popping out and obviously I knew I was autistic and I knew that I had all these health issues and things. I was like, I'm not part of that group. I just want to learn more about it. And then I've sort of been thrown in the deep end of not only being like, oh, I want to learn more about disability to be a better, like to help people and things. I now also realise that I used to be, if someone was to look at me, they'd go like, oh, there's a person. And sometimes they'd notice maybe that I was autistic because sometimes people say, I look, my eyes look in weird directions and things. Or they'll say like, your voice is weird so they sort of understood that to that extent of terms of how I was different and now like I don't know I was in Ikea today trying to buy rugs and things and I was real I kind of realized like people are going to be looking at me and thinking like why have you got a tube up your nose and why are you in a wheelchair all this sort of thing and then I realized like because I'm only really seeing those as tools to like stay alive basically and not feel really sick and in pain all the time I didn't realize that I then that I'd now progressed to the point of like being very visibly not like other people because before I know a lot of people in decade who are autistic or have um, hidden disabilities will wear sunflower lanyards and I've got one there and it's basically when you go outside to let people that work in shops and things know that you have a hidden disability whereas now the fact that I have a tube and I have wheelchair and have like a walking stick and things like that the fact that those are sort of doing that job for them is sort of has been something I didn't even realize until I was sort of out today thinking like oh these people are looking at me people do give you weird looks and you like to think that they're not but sometimes you catch them like being like, why is there a noodle up someone's nose? This sort of thing. And they're all, and you can tell they're like thinking, why is that there? What's this person got wrong with them? 
and realizing that something I just think of is like, oh, this is just like my medicine or like my chair is just like a support. I'm like, oh, hang on. I now have what people would say is like the image of someone that is disabled. And I didn't realize that I got there until you sort of look back and think, oh, hang on. I never, this wasn't used to, it didn't used to be the case. And now it is. I don't know if that made any sense. No, that did make sense. And I suppose that it must have just completely changed your outlook on life. Yeah, so the, the goal of being like, I want to learn more about disability so I can be better at educating people and being better at like helping people to then being the thing that I wanted to learn about is very strange because I was looking at it from a lot of the time purely like, I'm autistic and maybe I want to make a blog about being autistic or something like that, or I want to make a blog about, I don't know, or I want to write a post about this or make something informative about that because to having all of these issues that I already really had but was ignoring them and then obviously the longer you ignore stuff it's like oh you also have all of these things as well and then a lot another one of my goals that to become more important that wasn't really very important it was one I sort of stuck on the end because I saw everyone else was doing this one on I, I noticed on the decade what are your goal things that a lot of people had wrote like about self-acceptance and I was like yeah, I'll have some of that. One order of self-acceptance, please. Yep, one order of uh, that. It should be simple and nice and easy. And it turns out that even though everyone had put that on, I was like, oh, this must just be a thing that people do. They just do some self-acceptance, you know, like, oh, yeah, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, th- yeah, Thursday evening, that's when I do my self-acceptance. But it's it's not like that. And that is sort of also in terms of how my goals have changed that one that I'd stuck on the end like a toe not sure why I said that I'd sort of stuck it on the end as a a bit of a filler and I was like I can't have eight goals I need nine goals I need ten goals I couldn't think of one after that one so I was like oh yeah self-acceptance didn't realize how much of a big thing it is and now I'm like oh hang on you've got to accept yourself because it's very important. Coupled with disability does that go hand in hand with the self-acceptance or has it like strengthened your resolve for self-acceptance i think the self-acceptance thing is sort of also related to that but also it's just a you see i'm not an expert in self-acceptance all the people who wrote self-acceptance on their lists are the experts i was just following peer pressure i was just following the rest of the group with no original ideas of my own Do you need any help or support on achieving your decade goals? Apart from learning what self-acceptance is from the experts. Yeah, so teach me what it means to accept yourself because apparently it's quite important. I don't know, but I think I get all the help that I can get from the decade people because everyone's really nice, sometimes like annoyingly nice. Like the fact that I can just like, if I'm, if I'm having a bad day, or if I'm just feeling like there's no one to talk to, I can literally just either go on the Discord or go on like Twitter and just be like, I, I don't know, the, the other day I was having a rant on Twitter, like every few minutes I was like, ah, why is this happening? Or like, I'm annoyed at this. Having people there that are just gonna like, either even just like, like it, or not even say anything, just or people are, people that are acknowledging the fact that you have struggles or that you need help with goals or being a better person or just 
any of these goals that I've sort of accumulated, if I ever need help with that, I always know that there's going to be however many people that are going to respond to me and be like, yep, I can help or I can just listen, things like that. It sounds from a support perspective, what you're what you need from the community is it's more that acknowledgement and that validation and that support that's there for you when you're having a bad time or you just want to share stuff and it's and it's and it's there yeah i think that's really helpful thank you now for joining me on the decade podcast it's been lovely having you thank you for letting me there an end to that sentence i couldn't think of how those kind of sentences end but they made it sound a bit like i was banging on the doors of the decade podcast please let me in let me have an episode i just want 20 minutes of fame so that was that and if you listen closely you got a bit of charlie too it was lovely wasn't it i certainly had a great time thank you to nat for joining me thank you to all for listening Please join me next week for the finale of season three. In the meantime, you're all solid gold legends. Mm-hmm.